play with the witch. She's Today is not a good day for self. I don't give a fuck. We're recording. Get your shit together. <laughs> Fucking aggressive today. Not aggressive. You just gotta do what you gotta do. I, I don't wanna work no more. So we gotta get this shit on the road. <laughs> Jesus. I really wish my face had been recorded because I was like, <laughs> I was like down here just going, oh, I got a hole in my oh, leg. I don't want to worry. <laughs> and my face was like, oh, ow, hey, ow, my, ouch, my ear. Hey guys, welcome to I'm Sorry What the Podcast. I'm Amanda. No way. And that's Christina. <laughs> She's kind of being a bitch. Uh, weird. This is episode 35. And Amanda is going to be 31. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow from when this comes out. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm sorry. I'm bad at this time travel thing. You don't even need to mention time traveling. They don't fucking know. Until we fuck up and say something that's about, like... This last weekend or something. <laughs> and people are like, I'm really confused. <laughs> anyway, back to Amanda being old as fuck. Old as fuck. 31 is not old as fuck. 31, this is a lot less like, I feel really old than when I was turning 30 last year. Last year I had a little bit of a like third life crisis. crisis. Yeah. Third life crisis. Third of a life crisis. Just a third of a life. But, I don't know. I think it's just because it was the zero at the end. I'm like, no, I'm not in my 20s anymore and I've done nothing with my life. <sighs> and now we have you guys. All like six of you that I think listen to us on a regular basis. <laughs> What's up? You're the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> Anywho, how was your week? This week, how would your week be the week of the 18th? It'll be out. good. It'll be busy because we'll have gotten to the Renaissance Festival. Oh, yes, yes. So we'll be like... We'll be sneezing up sneezing dirt. Sneezing up a dirt still on Wednesday. Okay, okay. And then the next day's your birthday. As in tomorrow. As in tomorrow. So we're going to go out and have fun. We're going to go drink because we have the day off on Friday. And then Friday we have the day off. We're going to go at the Hotel Motel Holiday Inn. I'm pretty sure that's where we're actually staying to. Holiday in. Yes. Nice. And then we got the wedding. And then we and got the be wedding, fun. and that'll be fun. So it'll be a good week. It will be. Busy, mm-hmm. but good. Let's hope I don't get sick. But good. Fingers crossed, because... That's what usually what happens when I have fun stuff planned. Bitches get sick. Bitches. That's me. I'm bitches. How was your birthday week? It's gonna be the same as mine. I just fucking said it. We're good to go. Um, you know, it's been good. I actually also have the 19th off. Because I was like, fuck it, I already gotta take the 20 off. Might as well take the 19th too. I'm taking my birthday. Um, I probably bought treats to school, to work. Um, ate a lot of sweets. I got my birthday money in the beginning of September, so... Still got no money. So I still have no money, but my bills are paid, so that's nice. Um... I probably will get like a card and a high five yeah, and, a, and a nice firm high five. Um, but it's good. It's good. I'm still alive. I'll take it. Yes. I woke up not underground. Hopefully. What if you wake up underground <laughs> on your birthday? Get me out of this your, box. Your man is taking you out. So maybe 
Maybe. That's the day. He shoves you in your trunk and buries you alive. (laughs) I don't think there's any plans like that, but... You don't know. You know, life has thrown me some weird (laughs) curveballs before, so... He's the kind of serial killer that likes to lull his victims into a sense of relationship before shoving them in a trunk. Kind of like my killer today. Oh! Dun, dun, dun! That was a good segu. Oh, thank you, even though it's your turn to tell a story first. Segway. But think about that in, like, 20 minutes when we get to my story. (laughs) Is that Akita? Pull out my papers? That's a, hey, Nielsen, you should start your story now! (laughs) Thank you. Tell me your story. I am so ready. I'm telling you a story. (gasps) It's a true crime story. What? It's got some crime. And it's true. It's true. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) I'm intrigued. Go on. God, I feel drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, I'm telling you about the murder of the Whitaker family. Ooh. So, on December 10th, 2003, uh, the Whitaker... My fucking voice just... That's it. That's all she wrote. Um... I know, by episode two. We went to a Kesha concert. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We went to a Kesha concert. And so. it was really nice, but I pretty much had no voice the next day. Mm-hmm. And it finally is back, because it's two days. Like, it's been two days now. By the second one, we might sound um, like sexy Phoebe. Yeah, mine's mine's been going in and all, all day. So, like a dick. That'll be good. Like, <laughs> like a dick. <laughs> good one, Nielsen. Thanks. I try. So, on December 10th, 2003, the Whitaker family was celebrating the college graduation of their eldest son, Thomas Bartlett, also known as Bert. Bert! Uh, from Sam Houston State University. Uh, they took him to a dinner out at a local seafood restaurant. And after the dinner ended, the family returned to their home in a wealthy Houston suburb to continue the celebration. Woo-woo. Thomas said he needed to collect his cell phone from his parked Yukon and would meet his family inside. Okay. Uh, his younger brother Kevin entered the house first and encountered a masked intruder. He was immediately shot in the chest. I just have to say that's like one of the scariest thoughts in my head whenever I walk into a building. I'm like, I'm just gonna walk and see like someone's just gonna be in here or yes. walk around the corner or it's a terrifying. Thought. Yeah, I I've been doing that a lot at my parents' house recently because your family's house is out in the country. It's no, scary. they just never lock their doors like at all. Oh, my family doesn't either. I, I don't find the, I the find the city more uncomfortable than the country, but like yeah. walking in, I don't know what it is there. I mean, Susan, love ya, Susan. But I definitely get not like a bad feeling, but I have there's like an energy there, and so like I, your house is haunted. I'm feeling a little <clears throat> recently. Your house is haunted. It might be. I mean, I had that when I was living there as a kid. I would do the same thing. I'd have like nightmares. It's got and, demons. I say demons, but it's definitely it's got demons. Got something, something roaming around, <laughs> making noises and stuff. don't like that. All right. Anyway, All right. so masked guy shot him immediately as he walked in. Shot his brother and then shot his younger brother Kevin immediately in the chest. Okay. Who fell to the floor? Okay. His mother Patricia was right after him, and she was also shot in the chest. And then his father, Kent, ran in hearing the gunshots and was shot in the shoulder with the bullet shattering his humerus bone. Oh, damn. 
Thomas had grabbed his phone out of the car when he heard the gunshots. He went into the house and attempted to struggle with the intruder who shot him in the left arm before he took off, exiting through the back door and jumping a neighbor's fence before disappearing. The intruder did? Yes. Okay. The next-door neighbors, Cliff and Darlene Stanley, heard shooting and yelling, and they both were in, like, opposite rooms of the TV, and they thought it was coming from the TV. Oh. And then they both went into their living room and were like, yeah, it's not. It's not coming from the TV. Uh, so Cliff went outside. Uh, when they figured out it was coming from outside, he went out to check and spotted Kent Whitaker sprawled out on the concrete front porch next to the door. He could tell he couldn't tell whether he was dead or alive. As he got closer, he realized Kent's head was pointing back toward the Stanley house in an awkward position. Um, and he saw his friend lurch sideways and start to mutter something. He immediately headed to in the direction of Kent Whitaker. Um, as he made his way toward Kent, he came upon um, and saw Trisha directly in front of the entryway to the house. And about six feet away from her was Kent. Okay. Uh, she was in a kneeling position with her head on the front porch near the slight steep landing into the house. Her legs and lower body were pointed outward to toward the street. Um, he looked into the house and saw one of the boys laying in the entryway, but he couldn't tell at that point which boy it was and if he was breathing. Okay. He yelled at his son and told him to call 911, uh, and the police arrived immediately. Kevin died within minutes of being shot. Mm-hmm. Patricia died shortly after being airlifted by Life Flight Service on the Memorial Herman to the Memorial Herman Hospital. Um, Thomas was uh, checked out by first responders and taken to the hospital for his gunshot wound in the arm. Okay. Um, and miraculously, after being shot in the shoulder, Kent Whitaker survived his attack. He told the police that he would forgive the man who shot his family not realizing it, that the man behind it was his own son, Thomas Bartlett. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. I figured it was something like that since Thomas just struggled with him and then just got like a grazed shot and the guy ran away. Yeah. All right. You ready? Bitch. Okay. Bring I'm it really, on. I'm really excited for the end of this for you to tell oh, me yeah. for your response to it. To be so happy. I don't think so. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, all right. So it didn't take... I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, maybe. We'll see. It didn't take the police long to find things fishy with the crime scene. Uh, first, things didn't seem like a surprised burglar. Um, the, like, methodical way that he, like, killed all three or tried to kill all of the family members um, instead of, like, putting them at gunpoint and letting them leave the house or right. like just to immediately start shooting and keep shooting. Well, like he knew how many were coming in too. Yes. Um, and then second, when looking into the crime scene and the background of the Whitakers, it was discovered that Thomas Bartlett had not even graduated from Sam Houston State University. In fact, he had dropped out his freshman year and his parents were not aware. Oh, oh, it's one of these. Those are always so weird to me, too. I'm like, what do you do for fucking eight hours a day when you're trying to pretend you're... He lived off campus with a roommate. Oh, so they didn't know because they just were... Paying his tuition. Oh, shit, damn. Um, As they began to look at Thomas more closely once they discovered that he wasn't graduating from the university, um, a close uh, tip came from one of Bart, uh, Thomas's high school friends. I can't call him Bart. I just can't fucking take him seriously. Um, Eat my shorts! <laughs> <laughs> claiming that Thomas had plotted to kill his family a few years before 
but backed out of it. Oh, okay. So the police zeroed in on him as the mastermind behind the attack. Thomas got wind of the police's interest in him and fled the country to Mexico. Look at Thomas. Uh, he lived there for over a year under the false name of Rudy Rios. And Rudy. Rudy. Martin Rudy. <laughs> Fucking yeah. Living the dream. <laughs> Living the dream. Couldn't have picked a better name? No? Cool. Um, on September 15th. Four days before your birthday. Three days before this day. Oh, this like, is released. I was like, I didn't do math wrong. Five plus four is nine. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I'm just, I'm going by the release day. Got it. You know. Uh, 2005, a capital murder warrant was issued against Whitaker. Uh, cooperating with U.S. authorities, Mexican authorities arrested Whitaker without incident under immigration charges. And in September 2005, he was handed over to the U.S. authorities at the border town of Laredo, Texas, where he was arrested for capital murder. Okay. So, um, Whitaker had attended Clements High School, but had was kicked out as a result of burglaries he had committed without other st- with other students. Um, he was evaluated by a psychologist who stated he was experiencing the clinical symptoms of delusional paranoid disorder. So when he was in, when he was in high school. Okay. Um, then when they did they did another evaluation after he was arrested, and in two thousand and nine, a psychological evaluation of Whitaker noted that after high school, he was given more of the unearned trappings of wealth, while his thoughts became even more disorganized and paranoid. Okay. So, Whitaker's parents had bought him several luxury vehicles, paid for his tuition at Baylor University, which is a very expensive school, and Sam Houston State University. Whitaker also had access to an $80,000 trust fund from his grandparents. Uh, He testified in court that he did not know he had access to it, but uh, they had also bought him a lakeside townhouse in Willis, Texas, where he lived with a roommate. And he had a four. Th- he was given a four thousand dollar Rolex watch as his graduation present hours before he was murdered. Or he, the murders. You know, you know what I would have done with that Rolex watch? Mm-hmm. Fucking sold it. <laughs> That's uh, go, go to Walmart. Give me just fucking. If I need a wristwatch, I'm just gonna go ahead and get a little wristwatch. Right. So basically, what the psycho- psychological eval said in 2009 is that he was basically given all of the things he could ask for, but not really like. The attention and... No, he had... His parents were, like, good parents. It was more just, like... I think it was more throw money at the problem instead of trying to get to the root of the problem. Okay, so he could have used some medical attention of sorts, but instead... And I think he was really good at hiding it, too. Okay. Because they had no idea he... They didn't... They had no idea he did not... He wasn't going to college and that he hadn't graduated college. You know, he was good at selling that everything was fine. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but what, like I said, what the Whitakers didn't know is that Bart wasn't going to graduate at all. He had dropped out of Sam Houston University as a freshman and had been lying to his family about being a student there for over three years. So were they paying tuition? I think they were paying him so he could pay his okay. tuition. I was like, because you'd think they'd get, like, a return check being like, mm-hmm. no. Right. Okay. Um, so he was, he panicked, basically, and needed a way to ensure that his family didn't attend the graduation or find out that he hadn't graduated. So we fucking killed him? So we hired a hitman because he didn't feel that he could 
carry throughout killing his parents, and the hitman he hired was his roommate, Chris Bashir. Uh, so he hired them to kill his parents and his brother, and to non-fatally injure him, so that it would look like he was part of the attack, or wasn't right. part of the attack. He also paid his co-worker, Steve Champagne, to drive the getaway car, so that Thomas could stay on the scene and pretend as though he had fought the intruder off himself. Uh, okay. He's a bit of a looney tune. Well, I guess I've just never been like, I'm in such hot water, I'll just fucking kill my family, and then I don't have to tell them how I fucked up. Yeah, he did an interview, and they said that, like, they're like, did you hate your family? And he said, at the time, yes. That I had so much anxiety and so much stress about he's like I just felt like a failure and I had so much pressure to be blah 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 that it grew from like my own anxiety into hate and rage and then he's like and it happened in high school and it just built from there I guess and they said well did you hate your brother and he said my little brother was everything that I was supposed to be and that made me hate him the most so I guess I'm confused so he just had like like, as to what his family was doing that made him feel, like, so much pressure to succeed. Like, I get that they're paying for all this stuff, but it's, like, in my mind, they didn't, it doesn't seem like they gave any sort of, like, we're gonna disown you and throw you to the wolves if something was to happen. Like, they no, clearly are willing to but help he had him as much as he needs paranoid. it. Right. He had a mental disorder that was never, right. I don't think, treated properly. But it was a lot of... Well, he got into a lot of trouble and his brother was the perfect student and he was kicked out of high school and his brother was getting straight A's. And, you know, like a lot of a lot of the stuff was his own actions and his own. But it, he was blaming it on his family and his brother. And and I think it came into that. So he fucked up. Attempted to kill his families to hide his family to hide it. Mm hmm. So after that where do you go from there like okay so he told brashier where kevin kept his gun okay and asked him to stage a robbery okay um two years after the murder so they had they were still investigating it and they were still because he spent a year in mexico right so they're investigating it he spent a year in mexico they were trying to get him back in um around 2005 um, I think before they actually did the capital murder charges, um, Champagne, the driver, mm -hmm. went to the police and confessed to assisting in the murders. He revealed that the plan that evening back in December of 2003 was for him to watch the Whitakers eat from his car in the restaurant parking lot. Meanwhile, Thomas's other accomplice, Chris Brashier, hid in Thomas's SUV outside the home. Okay. When he knew they were headed back to the house, Brashier entered the home using the security code that Thomas had given him, and then Champagne watched from a nearby street. Not long after the gunshots went off, Brashier hopped in Champagne's car and they sped off. Okay, so it was all basically compacted into that space so there wasn't bringing any outside stuff, mm -hmm. so it was just basically do it and run away. Yep. Okay. At his trial in March of 2007, prosecutors alleged that although it wasn't Whitaker who shot his family members, he was responsible for the murders because he played the leading part in the conspiracy to commit murder. 
He had refused a plea bargain by the district attorney in return for his admission of guilt and was tried for capital murder. The prosecutor's chief witness, Stephen Champagne, claimed that Whitaker had wanted his family dead so he could witness or capitalize on a million dollar life insurance payout from his family's deaths. Okay, so more of a money motive is what he's saying. Right. However, Whitaker denies this and said that he only knew of the life insurance policy on his father, uh, which was $50,000. He claims that his mental disorder, which was exacerbated by drug use, caused him to want his family dead. But... What Stephen and Chris Brashier said is that they the reason that they were told they were getting millions of dollars. So the only way that they would have gotten that is if is if he inherited uh, life right. insurance and the money that they have in savings and all of the everything that comes with it. All right. So Kent Whitaker, the dad, had already forgiven his son for his part in the murders and tried to persuade the jury not to deliver a death sentence in his victim impact statement. Okay. However, the jury decided to convict Whitaker of capital murder under the Texas Law of Parties. Chris Brashear received a life sentence in a plea bargain worked out with the prosecutors, and Stephen Champagne agreed to testify for the prosecution in return for a 15-year sentence. So, Whitaker appealed his death sentence on the grounds of the ineffectiveness of his trial counsel, um, prosecutorial misconduct and the arbitrariness of the death penalty punishment and also the cruelty of lethal injection in violation of the Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution prohibiting cruel and unusual punishment. When has that ever worked in Texas? I forget just, they're in Texas. Just wanna... <laughs> stupid. Like, Maybe in mm. California, but get the fuck out of here. It's Texas. If you're in Texas and Florida, you're fucked. You're fucked. Um... Or are you? In April of 2017, his appeal against prosecutorial (laughs) misconduct was dismissed by the Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Um, Thomas Whitaker and other inmates also tried to initiate an unsuccessful class action lawsuit against the conditions on Texas death row inmates, uh, where they are kept in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. It's a little harsh. I. But at the same bitch, time, you could be dead tomorrow. Don't you? But at the same time, you fucking kill people. So just sit in your fucking little room and be I quiet. Just... Think about what you did, asshole. Um, I just gotta say though, everything I've read about death rows, like recently, it's like a fucking staycation. Like they, there's like less rules there. Like well, they, because they've had to revamp because a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, maybe. But this is, what, 10, 15 years ago almost? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. People. All right. Anyway. Are you ready for the, the end of it here? So on October 10th of 2017, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to consider an appeal based on his claims that his trial, trial lawyer was deficient and that Fort Bend County prosecutors engaged in misconduct by improperly referring to discussions of a plea deal that never was reached. The justices provided no explanation for their refusal, and on November 1st, 2017, his death warrant was signed, scheduling his execution for February 22nd, 2018. Okay. However, Kent Whitaker became his son's biggest advocate. Uh, He was seen, his son, he said he stated, his son has changed since she's been in prison. He said he's learned Spanish in prison and is helping some inmates learn English and their high school diplomas. In 2013, he also received his undergraduate degree. Okay. Uh, 
In a letter to the governor, Kent Whitaker appealed for leniency and for his son's sentence to be commuted from death penalty to life in prison. He said, I've seen such a change in him. He has been incarcerated. For okay, this is the, the start of the letter. Um, I've seen a change in him. He's been incarcerated for 11 years. That's 4,000 days. He's done a lot of work on himself, and he struggled hard to find out what it was that went wrong in his mind. I know Trisha and Kevin would not want him executed. Um, he watched, he's, basically they said this letter to the governor um, was a very unique one because uh, he was a witness and a victim of this. Right. So his letter, he said, I watched my son Kevin walk into the house, heard the first and fatal shot, and saw my son's fallen body in their dark in the darkened home. I heard Trisha's last wet coughs as Kent himself lay dying from his gunshot wound. Uh, killing my son would permanently compound the suffering and grief of the remaining victim, which is myself. There's no reason for this particular execution to take place. No one close to the people involved in this case want it to happen. Some have passionately opposed it. Others simply wish their lives could be restored to the time before the crime. It is only the state of Texas, through its employees and representatives, that mechanically marches forward onto the date of death. At some point in time, only God can identify the demented mind and tortured spirit of Thomas Bart Whitaker evaporated from our world. In his place, a genuinely good young man resides, who even at this request has written, is written, continues to live the life of my son. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced that he would grant clemency to Bart just 40 minutes before his scheduled execution. So his sentence, due to basically largely in part that letter that was sent to the governor from his father. Um, so 40 minutes before his execution, the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles, Parolees voted unanimously that Bart's sentence would be commuted to life behind bars without the possibility of parole. Okay. Uh, in a statement, the Texas governor stated that the complex nature of the situation and why he arrived at this decision... Um, he said he referenced Mr. Whitaker's letter and stated that he survived the attempt on his life passion and passionately opposes the execution of his only and remaining son. Uh, Kent Whitaker states now that his relationship with Thomas is much better than it had been had ever been in the past. He visits him once a week for a two hour session and has become much more open and honest with me about his failures and losses. And then Kent has since remarried. He met his wife, Tanya, through a mutual friend, and the couple spends their time traveling the country, speaking out about the power of forgiveness. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm a mixed bag. I can see how that would be. Just because he di clearly has mental illness that wasn't appropriately taken care of and dealt mm -hmm. with. Um. And like the dad said, it's like, I think all the people around him don't feel that it's necessary. Why are we? Why, right. Like he's done everything he can to fix himself and make himself right. into a productive human in society as much as he can. And, you know, when you're in prison, but, mm -hmm. and the fact that he's still commuted to life, it's not like he's just getting off. Right. It's just, he's not going to get killed for that. So I, I mean, I don't mind the ending. I don't mind. Do I like that he killed people and it's possibly money motivated and maybe he... Yeah. But there's just so many, like, 
unknowns that I have a hard time, like, just going. Well, we know you did it. You killed someone. There's people that have been put to death who didn't kill anyone, you know? So it's just kind of a, I guess, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I say, I say he's still in jail for life without it's parole. True. So it's satisfied. Not, it's, so it's like he's dead to the public. He didn't shoot me or kill my family, so I guess I can't be that riled up about it. I don't know if that was a sassy comment, but no, that's that was I mean an honest comment. <laughs> let me just say it how you said it, though. I'm like, I can't tell if you're being sassy because you're like, I mean, I guess he didn't shoot me or my family, so. But like the way you said it, I was like, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. <laughs> but I'm just saying that being I don't know I don't know I'm not totally broken up about the fact that he's not getting that he didn't right. get killed no, on I his agree with that, that and, and the fact that it's not like it's one of those cases where he committed these horrific crimes and is getting away with it he's still right doing his time and, and they didn't change it to getting justice life or... in jail with the possibility of parole and he could yeah. be out next month you know yeah. it's more we're and just going to go ahead and... It's kind of weird, I think, that the person who actually did the killing didn't get the death penalty, but the one who planned it did. It's kind of like a Marilyn Manson-like... Marilyn Manson? No. It's not. It's what? not. I'm going to go ahead and... Go ahead. Charlie? Charlie Manson. Charlie? <laughs> Charles? <laughs> Charles Manson. <laughs> Marilyn... I'm like, no, I don't think Marilyn Manson ever killed anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, oh, but... for fuck's sake. Marilyn Manson's issues. <laughs> Marilyn Manson. Let's talk about him. He's fucked up, huh? <laughs> Dude, if I if I had a dick, I'd suck my own dick, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> anyway, not totally torn up about it. Wish it wouldn't have happened. Clearly, his dad has his back no matter what. Yeah. So, even if he would have just been like, hey, I've truly, like, royally fucked up. I don't think his family would have, like, gone off the hinges or right. anything, but... It was just also, unnecessary. Right, but also if he has that, like, paranoid thing, he might just mm -hmm. think the worst is going to happen no matter what. If you get so wrapped up in your lie and maintaining the lie mm -hmm. that nothing else matters. Exactly. So, mental illness is weird, man. I Brains are weird. It's it, They really are. But good story. Hey, thanks. Good job. I appreciate your appreciation of my story. Yeah, well, I appreciate your appreciation of my appreciation of your story. Stupid. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm ready. What you got for me, baby girl? Are you sure? I might be. Give me one second. I'm going to just scooch, scooch so I can read and talk. I'm going to scooch it. I'm going to scooch it. Okay. So this story was one story. And then it kind of turned into telling about a serial killer. So at first I looked up the Bearbrook murders, also known as the Allenstown Four. Nope. Which for a very long time were like unidentified bodies that were found. Did you say the Bearback murders? Bearbrook. Okay. Sorry. No, you made that up. No. <laughs> that was just you. Okay. Just Sorry. So I ended up doing it, and then I was like, oh, this guy is, like, a known murderer, so let me look him up. Maybe he can be my next subject, and then it can be, like, they're connected, but not super connected. Just kidding. They are connected. But just kidding. There's a lot of overlap. So <laughs> just kidding. They are connected. <laughs> I just added a little more detail in, but... Okay. 
We'll start on November 10th of 1985. A hunter discovered a metal 55-gallon drum near the burnt down near a burnt down store in Bear Brook State Park in Allenstown, New Hampshire. Okay. Inside the metal drum were two bodies, that of a woman and then one of a young girl. They were both wrapped in plastic, which was most likely garbage bags. Wait, there were two bodies in one drum? 55-gallon. Okay. So if you think about, like, except it was... Were they, like, broken up and shoved in there? I I mean, I don't think so. Okay. Um, They didn't, like, go into details on that. But I'm assuming it's, like, you know, have you seen the ones that come out of Jeffrey Dahmer's? It's, like, that size. Or, like, you know, homeless people fires, that size. (laughs) Hobo fires, got it. Yeah. Anyway, so inside the metal drum, except it was metal. (laughs) Inside the metal drum were the two bodies, a young girl and a woman, wrapped in plastic. Both, they both died from blunt force trauma, and they were later buried in the same grave, but no one knew who they were at that time because... There was no identity to them. And they weren't given their own graves? Um, nope. Oh, that sucks. Well, graves cost money, Nielsen. (laughs) Then on May 9th of 2000, so 15 years later, uh, the remains of two more girls were found in, in a site very near this place. They were also found in very similar manner in a 55 gallon drum and both died of blunt force trauma as well. Have they been in there for, like, a long time? Okay. Yes. They, I mean, they've been there, in there for a while. Uh, the woman found in 1985 was later identified as Marlise Honeychurch. I'm, every That's time I read name. her name, I was like, Honeychurch, all right, all right. The original ID said that she was a Caucasian, like, when they did the missing persons or, like, discovered persons and made a... Um, recreation of what their faces would look like, Mm -hmm. was a Caucasian with possible Native American ancestry. She was aged between 23 and 33. She had curlier, wavy brown hair. She stood about 5'2 to 5'7 and had had substantial dental work done with multiple fillings and at least three teeth extracted. The three children also seemed to have Native American heritage with a light complexion. But that doesn't end up playing much of a role. Okay. But it was another thing that they noted when they didn't know who they were. The girl who was found with the adult was later ID'd as Mary Vaughn, or Marie Vaughn. She was said to be between the ages of 5 and 11. Seemed seemed as though she had the symptoms of pneumonia, so there was, like, fluid on her lungs. Um, A crooked front tooth and... I meant to look this up, so I said it right. Diastema? Diastema? But it was basically a gap tooth. Okay. Okay. She had two earrings in each ear and stood about 4'3 to 4'6. She had light brown hair, which was most likely wavy and had no fillings. So she had not had any dental work done. So they couldn't go by dental records for her. Mm -hmm. The next youngest, so we're on to the next barrel that was found in 2000. The one of the girls was identi- is still unidentified. She also had a gap in her front teeth. She died between the ages of two and four. <gasps> she had brown hair and was about three feet tall. And she had an overbite 
that would have definitely been noticeable when she was alive. She also suffered from anemia, like me. Um, and I was like, I have anemia. Connect. Uh, the only thing that DNA testing proved is that she was fathered by Terry Peter Rasmussen, whom we will get to later. Okay. And the final victim that was found in the metal drums was eventually identified as Sarah McWaters. She was estimated to be between, when they ID'd her, she was estimated to be between one and three years old, had long blonde hair, and was right around two and a half feet tall. And she also had gap teeth. So I don't know if this is just like, I mean, we're just going to go ahead and say it right now. They're all related except the unidentified one. The woman is the mom of the two girls, so it might be a family trait that, mm. you know, the overbite and um, gap teeth. And did they not know that at the time? They didn't. They didn't know until they ID'd them in, like, it was, like, 2015 or something that they actually got them ID'd. But before that, they just had, like, I was going to say, where the fuck drawings. are these kids' parents? Did they not, like... Yeah. So, okay. when this case was first beginning... Um, and authorities turned to the public in the United States and Canada. Uh, there were hundreds of leads and at least 10, ident 10 identities had been ruled out to figure out what who the bodies were. Um, despite all the hype, there was no clues right mm -hmm. away. In June of 2013, there were updated facial reconstructions that were made by the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. These reconstructions were more detailed, included the dental, like, records and showing the teeth and kind of how it would change the face shape. Um, they created them in black and white so that there was no projected, like, hair color, skin color or anything because they mm -hmm. weren't totally sure since they were kind of disintegrated at the point that they couldn't tell exactly mm -hmm. what they looked like. They just knew from... Bone structure? Yes. What their uh, heritage was. Then in 2014, DNA profiling revealed that the woman and the oldest and youngest girl were maternally related, meaning that either they were mother, aunt, or sister. So they still weren't sure exactly what it was in 2014, but they knew that they were somehow related. Mm -hmm. Other forensic information showed... Wait, pause. So the lady in the first drum mm -hmm. is related to the kid in the first drum and then the baby and the baby mm -hmm. but, but that not middle the one, one that was related to the terry guy yes okay yep she is just like a they're not sure who she is okay basically they know that that's her dad but they don't know a mother at all so okay other forensic information showed that both the women and the two girls lived in the northeastern united states for about two weeks to up to three months before their deaths, which I just, forensics always makes me go, wow, how do you know? Um, this led to authorities believing that they lived in that area, with, like where they were found, since that is near that space. Okay. Then in November of 2015, there was a third set of reconstructions released at a news conference in New Hampshire State Attorney General's office. Okay. The woman was... Then identified and the two as the two girls' mother that year. All right, so 
there's some semi-recent updates, like things that, because this goes like, obviously, since the one isn't identified all the way to today. Mm-hmm. In January of 2017, Denise Budin was connected to this case. She went missing in 81. Okay. When she went missing after, so she went missing after she went to a family event and there was a fight. And she disappeared when, I lie, that was before. So she went to a family event, a Thanksgiving deal, and right after Thanksgiving, no one saw her again. She disappeared from Manchester, New Hampshire, um, as did her young child and her boyfriend, Robert, a.k.a. Bob Evans. Okay. She wasn't even actually reported missing, missing until like 2016 because her family honestly thought that she had just picked up and started new because she was having financial issues. And at that time in like 81, you could just fucking mm-hmm. do that. So they honestly just thought that she moved with her boyfriend and her daughter and they just started new and that was it. You know, it might have been her personality, you know, so. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the reason they found out because through okay so this is kind of convoluted because i wrote it and then i was like this makes no sense because it jumps dates a lot but so her daughter was found abandoned wait whose daughter this denise girls okay her daughter who was only like six months old at the time that they like last saw her was found abandoned at a theme park in 1986 in california um but they didn't know it was her daughter until she was, like, able to be DNA tested and find out that it matched her mom mm-hmm. in 2016. So she showed up, told them that she was with Bob Evans and that he left her there. And he was sentenced to six months for chi- six months in prison for child abandonment. And she went into the system and basically was a foster kid after that. And he got paroled in 1990. So Bob Evans went to jail and now is out in 1990. Okay. I'm confused. I know. That's what I mean. I'm like, I get it in my head, but it jumps so much. So Denise disappears. Bob Evans has her kid? Yes. Okay. And he abandons her at the amusement park? Yes. Okay. And then they find him and they sentence him to child abandonment. We're good. Now I'm caught But mom's nowhere to be seen. Okay. And so, and he didn't say who her mother was or anything. So then they didn't find out who she was until they did DNA testing in 2016. Okay. Um, the daughter stayed anonymous, like, so you can't, there's no records of anything. I tried to look her up. It was, it was just not happening. So, next, the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children discovered that an unidentified man known as Robert Evans was found to be the father of the middle child who was found in the drums, a.k.a. Terrence Rasmussen. So he had a different name? He had a lot of aliases. Oh. Yeah. So he has also abandoned another girl at a campground who was not related to him. And it's like, she said who it was, but then they didn't know who it was because of his aliases. So he was connected to a lot of different weird things Mm -hmm. that deal with just like exploitation, disappearances, all that stuff. Um, 
it is believed that the believed by police that Evans was the killer of the four in the Bear Brook area, but they wouldn't elaborate any further at that point when they like found these abandoned things. He's connected to this. That's connected to a different name. You know, all that fun, like put it up on the wall and put the yarn between right. them. It's like, that's how I felt putting this together. I'm like, but this and this and this, because it was from a lot of different sources. Anyway, so in June of 2002, Unsoon Jun, his common-law wife... What a name. Mm-hmm. ...went missing. She did. Uh, he was arrested a few months later and pleaded no contest to the charges related to her. Okay. He was sentenced to 15 years to life in 2003 and at the time was going by the alias Larry Vanner. Okay. So this is Bob Evans, Larry Vanner, and um, Rasmussen. Terry. Terry. Terry! Terry Rasmussen. I'm like, it all... And his fingerprints matched him to at least two other names... Gordon and Curtis. Jesus. Yeah. It's he's all over the place. He's got some weird ass names too. Right? It's Gordon? not even it's not even like kind of amalgamations of his name like a lot of people do. Um this arrest and forensic evidence connected him to the abandonment case which is this is where they're connecting all his different aliases, okay? Mm -hmm. The abandonment case that was under Evans' name. And when they tested the child's DNA, they found out that she, Denise's daughter, that was that same time-ish, found out that she was not his daughter. So they knew it was just Denise's daughter. Mm -hmm. Evans died in prison in 2010 for <clears throat> murdering and dismembering his wife. So they found his, her body. He pleaded no contest now. And then he was just considered guilty and mm -hmm. spent died in prison and ended up dying in prison only like seven years after he was okay convicted so now to fast forward to june of 2017 police re released a video of an interview with evans hoping that someone would recognize him because they were still trying to connect all these dots and alas Robert Evans. Alas, are you a pirate? Alas, are you a pirate? Robert Evans was confirmed to be Terry Peter Rasmussen. So this is when they found out. Okay, this and it's so funny to me that they didn't have any idea, and he died in prison, and they had no idea who this guy was. Right. Two months later, after getting a match with one of his son's DNA, very similar to the technique that found the Golden State Killer. Mm -hmm. Um. They found out he's Terry. So Terry was born in 1943 in Denver, Colorado. Rasmussen married in 1969. This is where I was like, okay, I'll just do it on mm -hmm. Terry Rasmussen now. And then I was like, I mean, there are different things, but it's pretty overlapped with the story. Just a little more detailed. Right. Um, he had four children and then they moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and then Redwood City, California. So he pretty much stayed west coast ish after colorado colorado until he moved to new hampshire okay his wife left him between 73 and 74 his family saw him around christmas of 74 for the last time so his kids and wife saw him 
then he up and left and they never saw him again didn't know what happened he's a real nice guy and he just turned himself into bob evans apparently and went on the road to i don't know what is it bluebeard or is it blackbeard the men that are like black widows yeah i think they're blackbeards yeah something like that anyway so rasmus a pirate huh bluebeard's a pirate I know, that's why I'm like, I think it's one of those things. Um, Rasmussen, who later would be known as the Chameleon Killer, um, may have used at least five different alias... was known to use at least five different aliases in a decade-long run of crimes across the country, including at least five homicides and most likely more. Jesus. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the four just in the things, and then... And they know he did it. Yeah, well... No. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. They don't... They say it's most likely, but they don't specifically say that he did it. He Mostly because he's dead. Right. Like They can't. They can't, like, put him on trial or say that he's guilty without him being able to... Whatever. Fair enough. Um, But he was a traveler. He lived in Colorado, Idaho, Virginia, Texas, Oregon, Hawaii, and California. Jesus. Eventually moving to New Hampshire in the late 70s. Okay. Apparently, he was known to travel with women and children. Like, any pe- anybody that knew him didn't know him by himself traveling. That's fucking creepy. So I don't know if he'd pick up women, like, single women with children, and they'd, like, start a relationship, and they'd travel with him, and then when he got sick of them, he'd just... Kill them? Got rid of them. That's what it seems like. Shove their bodies in a 55-gallon drum? Right, Exactly. His occupation was mostly as an electrician at different companies in these different areas. While living in Manchester, he went by the name Bob Evans, and he worked at Wombach Mill. Every time you say Bob Evans... I think of the food company. Yeah, because they got, like, mashed 80s and macaroni and stuff. Girl, I sold my shares in that. I used to have shares in Bob Evans. I'm hungry. Now I'm, now I'm hungry. <laughs> I got some sweet corn popcorn. <laughs> Every time you say Bob Evans, you think of the food company? You yeah, know me, me so too. well. Uh, <laughs> me too, man. I'm writing it. I'm like, mm. Mm, mashed potatoes. Mm, macaroni and cheese. That's my thing. Anyway, Sorry. there was a woman listed as his wife in this area that was called Elizabeth Evans. But this woman has never actually been identified. Oh, that's weird. Uh, Yeah. Who's Elizabeth? Who is she? <laughs> the following years were filled with Rasmussen being arrested for a wide range of crimes, mostly things dealing with, like, stealing cars, DUI, like... Real cool person yeah. stuff. Stupid He's a real things. cool guy. He had... He had been booked under four aliases at this point. Curtis Mayo Kimball, Gordon Jensen, Larry Vanner, and Jerry Mockerman. God, okay. Yeah. They're not even close to the same. Like, it's it's like he pulled track? shit out of the air. A criminologist named a criminologist named Jack Levin stated that Rasmussen was unlike any other serial killer that he had ever studied, killing women and children with whom he had relationships with rather than the norm of killing strangers. That's fucking weird. Yeah. He, Especially since I made a joke about that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I was like, like I said. <laughs> Like, my story. It's fucking weird. He was eventually called the Chameleon Killer because of all of his different aliases. It's like he changed his... For every crime, he would change his uh, 
appearance and his name, and he'd go across the country to find a whole new place. Uh, Rasmussen was suspected of other crimes, but so, for example, he only lived a mile and a half away from Loreen Ron, a 14-year-old girl who went missing in Manchester, New Hampshire in 1980. Then six weeks later, a 23-year-old woman named Denise Donette, who lived only two blocks from Ron's house, went missing from a bar. Oh, no. Um, she lived in the on the same street as Rasmussen. So... It's just, it's like a lot of weird connections. And now that they know that he kills people, it's like, well, where else was he that people just went missing and right. never returned? There was a search done after receiving a tip about the last girl in November of 2017. Um, the search was done by the FBI and the police. This was after the announcement that Rasmussen was most likely the Bear Brook killer there was also a search done in that same area in 2018, but no, nothing came of it. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. This is where I, I was just like, ooh, oh, ooh. Uh, on June 6th of 2019, so a few months ago, there was a press conference revealing the identities of the three victims. So they just figured out who these people were. Um, Marilise. Mer Elizabeth Honeychurch, the mother of Marie Elizabeth Vaughn and Sarah Sarah Lynn McWaters, who all went missing from California in 78. So they weren't found until, what was it, 86? How did they end up in New Hampshire? They just, did you just have a whole bunch of bodies in his trunk? So, um, let me see if I have this later. Yeah, I have, like, when they went missing, like, the last time they mm -hmm. were seen and stuff. The fourth victim still hasn't been identified other than knowing that her father is Rasmussen. Uh, the first thing to bring about the IDing of these three victims was Sarah's younger half-brother. So the youngest victim's half-brother posted on Ancestry.com in efforts to find her because she was a missing person still at that mm -hmm. point, like missing child. Um all the way back in 1999, so like right at the start of Ancestry.com, he was trying to figure out where she had gone. The three girls and Rasmussen, who was most likely dating um, Honeychurch, Mer mm -hmm. yeah, Honeychurch at the time, were last seen at a family gathering for Thanksgiving in California in November of 78. There was an argument with her family, and she left with Rasmussen and her two daughters, who were six and one at the time. This was the very last time that she made contact with anyone in her family, and she was never seen or heard from again from anyone else. It is thought that the girls were killed right around 81, so it was a few years after that that they, okay, that he... that they actually were murdered. Um... So that they probably just moved across country because... With him, yeah. Yeah. Rasmussen was in the state at the time also, so authorities believe that he was the killer. Um, and at this point, all we know is Rasmussen's dead, who those three girls are, and that's about it. There's no verifying anything. There's no... Because they basically just said, like, he's most likely the killer, but we can't necessarily say that he is the killer because... There's no 
having a trial to mm-hmm. convict him. And no proof. And Exactly. There's not enough proof. But I just thought it was one of those that, like, led me into a couple little rabbit holes here and there. I wonder if it was one of those things where he would, like, find a woman, settle down, and then get restless. That's what it kind of kill them and start over. Seems like to me because it's not like it's they start dating and then within six months Mm-mm. it seems like all of them kind of accept the possibility of him killing those random people, just random people throughout it. But like, yeah, it seems like he's in a relationship for a few years and then, or he's in a relationship to hide the fact that he's killing people, and then when he starts to feel like. Well, and he's crossing the country, like, mm-hmm. no, who knows? And they're disappearing and not ever being found again. Right. So it's kind of odd. And it's really funny to me that, like, the two drums were not far apart. And it took and them it forever took them. to find the second yeah. one. Yeah. So I would think you I'm would go, curious. like, I find this one and then go, well, there's they... another one over there. Maybe we should check that one. Well, they made searches, though, like... They have to search the area when you find, like, dead bodies. Right. So unless that drum wasn't there and then he dropped it. Or if it was hidden and they didn't, you know, like, under a brush pile or something. Mm -hmm. And I don't know because they don't give any details about, like, the state of the drums when they're found. But mostly because it's still not necessarily an open case, but it's still a case where they don't have, like, open profile files for the public yet because they just figured out who the people were right in, it like, this year. <laughs> so. Pretty intriguing, though. I know. So maybe look for updates because that was exciting. Because we're not going to give you any. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. maybe watch for them yourself. Honestly, in, like, three weeks, she's going to forget she did this story. Honestly, tomorrow I'm probably going to forget. I'm going to have to, like, write the thing and look at our details to remember what I did. Whoops. Might do it almost every week because I forget what I did. Do I remember what you did? Sure, because I listened to it. Me? Nope. Apparently I don't remember that. But yeah. Well, that was a good story though. Right? I've, I'm like, there's just like... Lots of holy. twists and turns. I was like, holy shit. It dates. Right? And I I cannot stop yawning and I don't know why. I know. I'm sorry. Sorry. You're I'm, not boring I'm me. sorry I'm so boring. Takes uh, a lot of oxygen for me to listen to people talk. Maybe that's takes what it is. a lot of oxygen. Yeah, sitting here really wears My me out. My brain needs a lot of oxygen to to process all the words you're saying. To process all the dates that I said. All right. <laughs> uh, 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 do you have funny things? Well, I have a third installment of my Casey story that happened. Oh this damn! Morning. Tell me. I walked in, and the guy behind the food counter goes, "Yo, breakfast bro girl, breakfast bowl girl." Yeah, I'm like, that's not my. Don't call me that. <laughs> they were both laughing. I was like, is that what you guys refer to me as? It's not my name. <laughs> well, you gotta be known as that. Now you dance with a fucking breakfast bowl all over to the floor. <laughs> breakfast bowl girl. I'm like, can you not shout that across the store, please? <laughs> no, that's when you just fucking I did. I was it. like, sup? Hey. And then I was like, so is that what you guys call me? And he, <laughs> okay, thanks. I'm gonna go now. Did you ask? They didn't even have any fucking breakfast bowls this morning. I was like, you're gonna call me breakfast bowl girl? And then when I go over there to get breakfast bowls, they're not there? It's because you missed that one day. They probably held and it for like, you. And he's like, I just got in. It was like 4 a.m. when I went in there. <laughs> he's like, I just fucking got here, dude. Relax. <laughs> 
So that was, it's a short part, but I thought it was funny. I'm like, oh, cool. That's my name now. All right. I'm breakfast bowl girl. They're Uh, so good. I'm not even mad about it. It's it's fine. All right. So that was lame. Sorry. It's fine. I don't have any stories. I don't have funny stories. You never have anything to tell me. I know. It's because I forget everything. (laughs) Not going to, not going to lie. the memory of a goldfish. The only things I remember are like the scary things. Like I had a nightmare the other day. In the middle of the day. Your nightmares scare me. Well, it wasn't a terrible one. It wasn't, like, demented. It was... So it was the day that I moved. Would have been Monday then. And I was... I finished moving stuff. I got settled in a little bit. And then I was like, you know what? I need a power nap because I was just dragging. I need a fucking nap. So I'm like, okay, I'll set my alarm for 40 minutes. It'll take me, like, 10, 15 minutes to fall asleep. And then I'll wake up and I'll be good to go. Because if I sleep too long, then I can't get up and I feel like shit the rest of the day. So... Two-hour naps are where it's at. Nope. Can't do it. I'd wake up and just want to go back to sleep until the next day. I don't want to take a nap right now. Um, But anyway, so I was, like, falling asleep. And I don't even remember falling asleep or laying down. But all of a sudden, I was, like, in my head, I was in a car looking out the windshield driving. Nope. And I am coming to an overpass, driving, driving, driving. And then I got that feeling of when you're getting, like, a roller coaster lifted up. Like, I got that, like, whole body feeling of being lifted, lifted, lifted. And all of a sudden I was, like, going over the overpass instead of under the overpass. Like grease lightning? Yeah, kind of. And then I was, like, up, 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 up. And then all of a sudden I started dropping and I got that like power tower, like my whole body felt like it was coming upward, like I was falling. And then I woke up and I literally woke up like this. (gasps) That's how I wake up normally. (laughs) Not me. And I, it took me forever to actually like go back to sleep. So I didn't take a nap. That's weird. I don't like that. I looked it up. I looked it up and it said that when you have that lurching feeling right when you're going to sleep, most likely you feel like you're losing control of something and you are high anxiety at that point. Have you ever had any dreams where your teeth fall out? Oh, all the time. That's because you're worried about money. Oh, uh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> I Help hate me, it when I, w- when I have those and I wake up catching teeth right. that aren't falling out and then I'm like, oh well, god, I still have all my teeth. It's so fucking weird because when you do that and then it's like, I can literally feel them crunching around mm-hmm. in my mouth. Like, how is that possible? Yeah. Brains yeah. are fucked up things, man. Oh, like we were saying earlier. Yeah, it's weird. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's, it's Dude, if we... Okay, so if we ever, like, do a photo shoot for, like, our show, we should literally have just, like, a, a bulletin board where we put, like, yarn and shit because I feel like we reference it every other episode. We're like, I feel like I should have had it all connected on the board. We went in two different directions there. Because my thought was, when we were both like, it's all connected, I thought you were going to say, we can never get high. Because, <laughs> I mean, if this is how we are. That's true. <laughs> not high. And we're... <laughs> Go straight to the top! <laughs> it's all connected! It's all connected! <laughs> oh, God. All right, guys. Well, see you later. Yeah, don't, don't forget. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. I mean, I like you. <laughs> no, don't forget to follow, like, review. We're on all sorts of social media. You know, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Still Instagram. Still looking for a meme daddy. Yeah, we need a meme daddy. Bring it, homies. 
Who wants to who wants to interact? Like Joe Eggum interacts. Um, Catherine, Carrie does sometimes. Like, feel free to post shit if you think it's funny. Do it. Do it. Fucking do it. Fucking do it. Um. Oh, send us emails. Nobody sends us emails. So I thought it would be fun if on in October if we could gather creepy stories from like our friends and family. That too, because I have plenty. Um. Oh, by the way, guys. October, we're changing it up. Yeah. It's ooky spooky month, and we love ooky spooky things, so there may be some true crime, but it's mostly just going to be ooky spooky things. See, and I'm totally going, like, double team in the ooky spooky true crime, so. Oh. Yeah. Fuck well, yeah. We'll see. We'll fucking see what yeah. I do. But I thought You don't that... get to fucking know. I thought that would be fun for our For Fuck's Sake Fridays, is, like, oh, ooky spooky yeah. stories that of from people we know. Yeah. Or if you guys have them, you can send them to iswthepodcast at yes. gmail.com or even to any of our social media platforms. We are not big enough to be concerned about not seeing them because we see all of it. So, Let's be honest. It's the only thing we have going on in our lives. That is a lie. I got a lot of things <laughs> going on, but it's the only thing that I have that I actually have to like watch for things like that. You know, like I, it's an interactive thing. But yeah. 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 Do the things with the stuff. Do the things with the stuff. And wish me a happy birthday. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Ew. Stop it.